Father God, we come to you this morning. First, we want to thank you for your amazing grace, your love and your mercy. Lord, I thank you that no power of man, no scheme of man, nothing can take away from your love. Father, I ask that as we open your word this morning, that you would reveal your heart to us regarding this scripture. Lord, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit here. And that as we open your word, reveal our hearts, uncover them, and convict us with the truth. Lord, we are in your house. This is your house. So we ask that as we draw near to you and as we listen to you, Father, that you speak to us and you show us your splendor. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church family. Good morning. How many believe that the Lord is good? Amen? Amen. Amen. If you do not know me, my name is Brandon Argetta, uh, as I was uh, introduced in the welcome. My name is Brandon Argetta. I am 16 years old, and I have the great privilege. Hello? There we go. Um, I have the great privilege of being on the worship team. Um, you can usually spot me. I'll be back here looking like a little bobblehead doing a little dance while I'm playing the bass. Um, so yeah, I, I'm on the worship team. By the way, can we give a hand for our worship team for that amazing praise? Amen. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Matt asked um, a couple people to, to come up here and speak, um, and I accepted, so here I am. Uh, thank you, Matt, for this opportunity. Can we also give a hand to Matt for everything that he does for us? Amen. Amen. So. Before we begin, I would like to tell a little story about me. Um, so growing up, I tried uh, many sports, um, soccer, baseball, uh, basketball, football, and um, I loved almost all of them. It doesn't, doesn't mean I was necessarily good at all of them, but I, uh, I tried them all. Soccer, I am not Usain Bolt, so I know I look like it. I look like him, right? Um, but no, I'm, I was never too good at soccer. Um, Baseball was just embarrassing. Um, I hit one ball the whole season. Um, basketball, I'm short. Um, and football was a different story for me. Football uh, was something special for me. Um, I remember growing up uh, in Seattle watching the Seahawks play. Uh, sorry, everybody. Um, and I always, growing up, I always loved the position uh, of running back running back, if you can tell uh, by the name, you run a lot. And um, I'm going to show something here that I probably will regret. Um, yeah, that. Um, I'll never live that down. I was probably about five foot two and weighed 160 pounds. So I did, could not run. I'd probably take about four steps uh, and then faint from being winded. Um, yeah, so I thought I, I, thought I was going to be a running back whenever uh, I... Um, played football and I had to plead to my parents um, <laughs> to let me play football and they finally did I think they just got tired of me whining um, so eventually I did play and I, I really thought I was going to be running back um, I really did but the coaches knew that I would not be effective in that position um, so they placed me at uh, defensive tackle which is usually where the big boned kids usually tend to stay um, but uh, they knew where to place me best. 
One of the things that made me love football so much was the community, um, especially the coaches. The coaches were like mentors to me. Um, they taught me uh, a lot of things. They equipped me with the skills needed to um, progress uh, and learn more and to um, succeed in football. Um, the coaches knew where to place me. I thought I was going to be running back, but I was not going to be effective in that position. The coaches planned it that way to put me there because they knew where I could operate best. Today, I want to talk about God putting us in positions where he knows where he could operate best. I thought I was going to be running back. Maybe I thought that I was only going to be a bassist, but today I'm up here. Today I'm going to be talking about why me. That is the title of my message this morning. Why me? So if you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read verse 7 through 11. But before I begin, before I begin reading, I want to give a backstory for who we're talking about. Uh, if you can guess, we're going to be talking about Moses today. Uh, and Moses asked that question, why me, quite a bit. So Moses was an Israelite. He was born in Egypt, born in Egypt. And uh, around that time, the Israelite population was growing uh, very fast. And the Pharaoh began to become worried um, lest an insurrection would rise, and they would take over and destroy a, a thousand-year-plus dynasty that was going on. So Pharaoh decided that every male baby that was born would be taken from their mothers and thrown in the Nile to drown. Moses' mother, not wanting him to die, decided that she would try to save him. So for three months after he was born, she hid him. She hid him. And when she couldn't hide him any longer, she came up with a plan for, to save him. Um, so one day she went to the Nile, she grabbed a bunch of bulrushes and weeds and twigs, and she wove it together in a basket. And she put clay and tar uh, and made it waterproof. And so when she found the opportunity, she put Moses in the basket and pushed him along the Nile. And she told Miriam, her daughter, Moses' uh, sister, to watch over him to make sure that he did not get swept away. Um, and it just so happened that on that exact day, on that time, the Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. And as she was bathing, uh, she saw the basket. So while she was bathing, she told her servant, can you go, go get the basket for me? So she pulled it up uh, and she saw, and she opened the basket and Moses was inside. And she named him Moses uh, because she drew him from the water. So um, Moses was then delivered back to a nanny and a nurse to grow. And once he was older, he would come back to the palace and live as the Pharaoh's son. So one day, when Moses was grown, uh, he was um, walking around doing his business, and he saw a Hebrew Israelite, one of his people, one of his family, being beaten by an Egyptian slave master. By an Egyptian slave master. And he was greatly angered by this. It, this was his family. This was his people, the people he grew up with. And so obviously, he was angered by this, and he wanted to save them. So he looked around, made sure that there was no one there, and he killed the slave master. He killed him, and this angered the Pharaoh. So the Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses, and fearing that the Pharaoh would kill Moses, Moses fled. And he, he left Egypt. He left the home that he'd always knew, and he came to a land called Midian. And after 40 years, and after becoming married, having children, and becoming a shepherd and having a flock, one day he was leading his flock to a new mountain, 
And on that mountain, he saw a bush, and that bush was on fire. But the bush did not burn up. So obviously, being every, like every other human, he was intrigued. So he went over to the bush, and uh, as he went over, this voice came to him and called his name, Moses, Moses. And he asked, who are you? And he said, it is I, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is where we will pick up. We're going to pick up chapter 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their suffering. In chapter 2, it said that the Israelites had been crying out to God. You have to keep in mind, the Israelites had been in Egypt for more than 400 years, 430 years to be exact, and they had been in pain, in suffering, suffering because of the evil of the Pharaoh's heart, because of their taskmasters. So the Lord heard them, and he answered their cries. So my first point this morning is God was fully aware of their pain, their pain, the location, the reason, and the results of their pain. He was aware of the pain that they were experiencing. He was there with them the whole time. He knew how long they were in there. He was aware of the location of their pain. He knew they were in Egypt, and he knew what it would take to get them out of Egypt. That is why he called Moses. He knew, and he wanted them to be free from the captivity. He knew the reason for their pain. He knew that they had been in slavery for hundreds of years, and thousands of babies had been murdered. He knew the results of their pain. More and more generations were born into slavery, which caused more and more pain. And I think, I think it would be hard crying out to God for 400 years and not hearing anything. I begin to think that some people, some Israelites, called out to their God and they didn't hear anything. And I, I think some of them would have stopped believing, would have separated themselves from God. How could a good God allow this? How could a good God allow me to suffer? And so I'm sure the results of their pain led to separation from God, ultimately from the beginning of the sin of Pharaoh's heart. Now, so God knew the location, the reason, result of their pain. He knew it all. I want you to know that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He does not change the God of the Israelites who were in Egypt is the God of modern Christians. He's our God. He's your God. He does not change. So just as God was aware of their pain, he is aware of your pain. He's aware of your pain. He knows what you are going through. Just as he understood the pain of the Hebrews, he understands your pain. He knows the location of your pain. He knew they were in Egypt, and he knew how to get them out, and he knows when you are in depression. He knows when you're in addiction. He knows when you're in anxiety. And he knows how to get you out. He knows where and how you're hurting. He knows. He knows the reason for your pain. The Israelites were in pain because of the slave masters. Because they were beating them. I want to ask you, who is your slave master? What are you in bondage to? What are you in bondage to? He knows the results of your pain. He knows that you are bound by sin. And the result of sin is pain, death, suffering, disease, all these evil things. So after hearing the despair of not only the Israelites and our, our cries, what did he do in response? What did he do in response to the Israelites' cry? And it continues in verse 8. 
I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Pause there. That should finish it, right? This is, this is what they asked for. They were crying out for hundreds of years to deliver them, and that would have answered them. God heard them, and he said, I will deliver you. But that's not where the verse ends. It continues. And to take them out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. So not only did God want to deliver them up, he had a plan for them. He had a better plan. He didn't want them to suffer. He wanted them to prosper. He had a better plan than they could ever understand. Point two. God has a solution already planned to give to you that you do not deserve. God has a solution already planned out to give to you that you do not deserve. So God had a plan for Israel. They could not have imagined a land flowing with milk and honey. From where they were from, all the suffering that they experienced, they could not have imagined that. And God decided that he would take them out. So God revealed in verse 7 and 8 his plan to Moses. He revealed his plan to Moses, but this is not where the, the chapter ends. It continues on in verse 9. I imagine, uh, imagine yourself being Moses. Imagine you're born in Egypt. You're an Israelite, yet you're the son of a Pharaoh. You kill a man, and you leave to go to this land. You become married, you have children, and you're a shepherd. And you see a bush. You go up to the bush, and the Lord talks to you. God talks to you. Could you imagine how terrifying, how, how terrifying that would be? But at the same time, he not only talked to him, he revealed his plan to save his people to him. That's his people. That's his family. That's Moses' family. Moses knew their suffering, and he wanted to end it. That's why he killed a man, to save them, to save a slave from pain. But he couldn't do more than just that. The Lord revealed his plan to Moses. And I, I imagine Moses being so excited. So, oh, God's going to take my people out. He's heard them. He's heard their cries, and he's going to take them out. And he's going to kick the Egyptians' butt, and they're going to learn to work for themselves, lazy people. And, and he's going to go, and you're going to send me to the—you're going to send me to, you're gonna send me to the Pharaoh? You're going you're gonna to send me? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a shepherd, though. I'm— why, why me? Why would you send me? Imagine God sending you. Why, why, would, why would he send Moses? Why would he send someone like Moses? A shepherd? A murderer? And Moses continues on. He gave God excuses five times. Five times. When God told him to go to the Israelites, he said, who am I that I should go? God said, I will be with you. Moses then asked, what if they ask who sent me? God said, tell them I am that I am and that the I am has sent you. In chapter, ver in chapter 3, verse 18, God says that they will listen to your voice. And you, the elders of Israel, shall go to the king of Egypt. God just said that they would listen to him. Yet in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses said, what if they don't listen to me? God just answered that question. So imagine God. I, I, I imagine God 
after how many times is this? Three times, God has told Moses to do something, and Moses has made excuses. I imagine God saying, fine, you know, if, if they will not believe you, I will give you signs. If they don't believe your word, I'll give you signs. So God gave him three miracles. The first one, he could turn his staff into a snake. And when he picked the snake up, it would again turn into a staff. The second sign, he could turn his hand into, into um, riddled with leprosy. It would be white as snow. And then he could make it whole again. And the, thir- the, the third sign was taking water from the Nile and turning it into blood. So God told him, I will send you on my authority, on my word. That wasn't enough. He said, I will be with you. That wasn't enough. God's command was not enough. So he gave him signs, a physical manifestation of God's power, but that wasn't enough. So Moses begins to run out of options. He says, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord begins, the Lord begins to get angry. I think, I think he starts to get frustrated. He, he says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses doesn't listen. How stubborn is this man? He's arguing. Could you imagine arguing with God? But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. It says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. So then he finally did what he was, gonna, what he was told to do. Five times he told God no. So why did he tell him no? He kept asking, I think, he kept asking himself, why me? Why would God choose someone like me? Moses is questioning God's choice of whom he chose to send. It seems like a fair question. From our perspective as, as humans, I mean, if, you, if you're a murderer, if you're a murderer, if you're just a shepherd, if you have a speech impediment, why, why would you send someone like that? Could it be that God knew all of his weaknesses? He knew his weaknesses, and he chose him because of that, to show his own glory. If, it, if Moses had not been obedient to God, the Israelites would have been stuck in Egypt. They would have stayed there. The Ten Commandments would have never been delivered through Moses. And they would have never reached the promised land. Now, earlier I related us to the Israelites. And if you're thinking, well, that's, that's cool. You know, Moses, Moses did all these things and he, he, he worked for God, but what does that have to do with me? Then I want you to look closer because this, this story is a foreshadowing to the gospel. We, in a sense, are the Israelites bound by slavery. We're trapped in bondage. Everything in Scripture points to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it all points to him. In the beginning, in the garden, when the animal was slain to cover the shame and the nakedness of Adam and Eve, that was Christ. When a sacrifice was provided to Abraham so that he didn't have to slay his own son, that was Christ. When the ark was provided to Noah to escape the judgment of the flood, that was Christ. 
It all points to him. Earlier, I talked about the Israelites and their slave masters, and I asked you, who is your slave master, and what are you in bondage to? Uh, in John 8:34, Jesus tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The Israelites were in slavery to their slave masters, and just like we were once slaves to sin. But just as God made a way for the Israelites to escape Egypt, God made a way for us to escape the Egypt of our sin, of our sin. God sent Jesus. It is true that everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but who the Son sets free is free indeed. He, he bled, suffered, died, and rose again so that we might have the chance to be united once again with the Father. This leads me to my third point. Because God made me, saved me, and is with me, I will obey him. I have to admit that uh, I myself do not feel, feel worthy to be on this stage. I, I, uh, not only am I nervous, but I, I don't feel like I should be up here. I, I'm just a musician. I'm just a kid. I'm, I feel like I have pretty good excuses. I'm, I'm not educated. I've never had a theology degree. I don't know the Bible like the back of my hand. But there is one reason that overrides all of my excuses, and that is because God made me, because Jesus Christ has saved me, and because the Holy Spirit, the Lord, is with me, I must and I will obey him. So the question, why me? When God calls us, the question is not why me. The question should be, why not me? Why not you? Because the Lord has rescued us from Egypt and from our sin, why should we not tell others about him? Why not me? Why not you? Because of the grace that has been shown, it is possible for us to be made free. It is possible for us to be in relationship with the Father. We should share this love with others. I would, I would like to read a quote. When you believe nothing significant can happen through you, you have said more about your belief in God than you have declared about yourself. You have said that God is incapable of doing anything significant through you. Henry Blackaby. Do you remember the verse, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God? Whatever it is that you can do, do it for the glory of God, whether that's getting on this stage and talking, preaching, whether it's singing, whether it's playing the bass or the drums or the guitar, whether it's making potluck, whether it's greeting others on a Sabbath morning, whatever it is, do it for the glory of God. You don't have to be a Moses. What if God working through your life to accomplish great things in his kingdom and for his will looks like you talking to a lost coworker? or to you giving the gospel to an agnostic friend, or to you on a Friday giving to the needy. 
Or are you simply being kind to others? You don't have to lead a nation out of captivity like Moses did. Trust that God will put you in a situation, in the position where he can use you best. Don't try to be a running back when you are best used as a defensive tackle. And when you do not feel worthy of the places and the things that God has called you to do, don't ask yourself, why me? Ask yourself, why not me? Why not me? In this next song, I want you to focus on the words. Don't just sing them, but focus on them. The chorus goes like this. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? He is. He is. Father God, that is our confession this morning, that you are worthy of all honor, of all praise, of all blessing, of all glory. You are worthy of it all. You are the Lion of Judah, and you have conquered death, the grave, and sin. Lord, I thank you that you've given us the opportunity to be freed from the shackles of sin. Father, I thank you that you know all things and that you know where to place us best and where we would be best used for your glory. Father, when we hear your call, when the Holy Spirit convicts us to do something, I ask that we think to ourselves, why not me? And because of the grace that has been shown to us, let us respond in the power of the Holy Spirit to do your will and that your glory may be shown to all people and all nations that we may spread the gospel. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.